All right, at this time, let us rise again from our seats to receive our scripture reading for today. Our scripture comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing this? What is not lawful to do on this Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life, or to destroy it. And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I'll invite Pastor John to deliver God's message to us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, may we see that your rest, entering into your rest, is not an option. But Lord, it is a gift that you give to us so that we could enjoy it, be restored by it. I pray, Father, Lord, for this generation that needs rest. For Lord, in our time, it has never been so restless, Lord, as we are struggling with our academics, we are struggling with our internal difficulties, we're struggling within our families, we can struggle, we can struggle uh, socially, personally, spiritually in every way. Father, Lord, as we are created and designed by you, Lord, teach us, open up our eyes and our hearts to see that we are most satisfied when we are in you and not in the world. And through that satisfaction, Lord, we find true rest. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, brothers and sisters, friends, uh, thank you for being here again. Today we're in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. And after studying uh, this past week on this passage, my goodness, my, my heart feels very raw uh, as I have felt so much need in my own life for this one word, rest. But we get to see the context behind this rest, this law of God for us to rest. And this context is this. It's his holy character as well as his perfect love for you and for me, his people. We need to keep both of these elements in mind when we think about any laws of God his perfect holy character, and his perfect love for God's people. If we do not do these things, we will miss 
the essence of God's laws altogether. For example, if we focus on God's holy character without his perfect love for his people, we might resemble the heart of the Pharisees from our passage today. Many Pharisees cared more about the rules than they did with people. They knew the letter of the law. They knew exactly what the law said, but they did not understand or know the spirit of the law. They did not understand what the laws actually meant. Yes, it reflects the perfect, holy character of God, but it also reflects his perfect love for his people. And as we live this way, focusing and emphasizing on just God's holiness, we might begin to fear God because there's no possible way for us to reach his standards apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We might begin to resent God. I don't need this. I don't want to come here. This is so judgmental because we will never meet these standards. But if that's you, I really hope that I still have your attention because you going out into the world, well, let me tell you, there's standards in the world as well. And whether it be intelligence, beauty standards, wealth, we can't meet those standards either. But also on the other side, if we only focus on God's perfect love without his perfect standard for his people, we might live lives that are contrary to God's ways because our sinful tendency is to live outside of God's rule and care. Furthermore, we might actually lose the significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ altogether. We might begin uh, to wonder, you know, why did Jesus have to die for us at all? Don't we need just good advice? Don't we just need a little bit of help so that we can become a bad person to a good person? But the gospel does far more than that. The gospel is not about good advice. It's about good news. That Jesus Christ has come to live the life that you and I were supposed to live but couldn't. And then he takes our place upon the cross and takes the death that we were supposed to die. But he doesn't remain dead. He is risen again on the third day to showcase to his people, to you and to me, that death does not rule over your life. We need to keep both God's holiness and his perfect love for God's people together and not apart. Especially if we're going to understand our passage today. And in our passage today, Jesus is found to be in two controversial situations, all centered around the Sabbath. Now, I understand um, this word Sabbath is not really used in our day-to-day -day lives. And so some of us might be a little bit confused, but the good news is, is that Sabbath, all that means is a day of rest. And on the day of rest, we are to cease, stop from all of our usual work usual work. And sometimes this is an incredible temptation for all of us as students because right now some of you might be tempted as you are hearing the sermon, you are still, your mind is at work. All the things that you got to do when you come back home, all of the assignments, all of the schoolwork, all of the responsibilities that you have in life. And it is so hard to cease from our work. But here's why is the Sabbath is so important. The Sabbath is actually found all the way back into creation where God himself rested on the seventh day. Now, he doesn't rest because he's like you and me. 
where we get easily exhausted. But for God, he found great rest in the fact that he completed his work of creation. He doesn't rest because he's exhausted. He rests because his work was beautiful and he was enjoying that rest. But the concept of the Sabbath was further developed later on when we get to Exodus in the Ten Commandments. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you are to labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, the commandment to rest is not just for God's people. It was made for everyone. It was made for you, for me, and back then when they had, you know, also daughters and sons, but also male servants and female servants. And did you hear? This command to rest was also given to animals, animals, to livestock. And so this is a good law, a good command that God gives to us. And it's an expression of God's holy character. But also, don't you see the love behind the law of the Sabbath? And if you think about it, it's very interesting that this is even a law to begin with. Because the law of the Sabbath was given to slaves. Remember when Israel was still in slavery in Egypt, you would think that after God had freed them, the first thing that they would want to do is take a break to rest. But I suppose you could see uh, in Israel that they were traumatized by work. In fact, they were so traumatized by slavery that after they were freed, what did they do? They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to be free, and so they went back into slavery by going back to work. Now, there's nothing wrong with work, but the way in which they saw work was the way in which they should have seen God. They saw work as their God. They thought that as long as I am working, then I will be saved. As long as I am working, I will be taken care of. As long as I am working with these hands, these feet, then I can provide for myself and for my family, not realizing that it is God who provides for all of us, giving us the strength, the intelligence, the gifts, and the ability. And so when we see how awesome God is and that he will never forsake you nor leave you, he is right there with you, then you and I can rest. But slavery had taught them, and perhaps us, to be great at work, but terrible at rest. Work is all we know sometimes, especially as students. I was reading an article, um, and this was an article about six years ago, and there was a Japanese woman, a 31-year-old woman named Miwa Sado. I really hope I didn't butcher her name. I apologize if I did. She worked as a broadcaster's, uh, at the broadcaster's headquarters in Tokyo, and she was extremely dedicated uh, to her company. But tragically, she died due to overworking for her company after logging 159 hours of overtime that month. But this tragedy is actually not uncommon in Japan's culture. Another woman named Matsuri Takahashi, who was 24 years old, this is a young woman, where she also died in April of 2015. 
Labor standards officials ruled that her death had been caused by stress brought on by long working hours. And weeks before she died on Christmas Day, she posted on social media, I'm physically and mentally shattered. All this is to say that rest is vital as a vital part of God's design for us. And sometimes, students, you're so exhausted, and some of us might even wrestle with all sorts of different mental health issues. And one of the ways in which we can relieve that is actually through obeying God by resting from ceasing from our works, to trust that our good God has us every single day. But... Along the way, this law started to take a life on its own. Not because there was anything wrong with God, but well-meaning Jews wanted to show how dedicated they were to the laws of God. And so they would start to, on top of the laws of God, start to create their own traditions and rituals. The rabbinic oral tradition, also known as the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there's... Hundreds of things that you are not to do during the Sabbath. And that's just one example. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more things that you can't do on other various different laws. All to show that we take the word of God seriously. And you can kind of see what they're doing, where their hearts are focused on. It's not focused on the heart of God. It's focused on the laws of God without even the heart of God. They began to add to God's law through their traditions. And as time passed, we get to our passage today. And to defy these traditions in our passage today was actually considered to be a violation to God himself. In other words, these traditions were on par with God's law. Now the Jews had great and good intentions to follow God, but they were off by two degrees, two degrees. How many of you guys know Apollo 13? Can you guys raise your hands, Apollo 13? I mean, it was a very um, nightmarish mission to the moon, which they never got to. And there were a lot of problems to it. And, they, and these astronauts, they barely make it back home. But, of course, uh, as dramatic as oxygen tanks exploding and all these mechanical uh, issues struggled with, uh, that these astronauts were struggling with, one of the biggest difficulties uh, that they had to overcome at NASA was two degrees. And one of the things that they said was they had to find a trajectory to bring these astronauts home. But they were freaking out. They were so in panic. Why? Not because of the oxygen tank levels or the lack of water, but because if they were off by two degrees, they would miss the entire Earth altogether. And likewise with the Pharisees, they, were, they had good intentions. They wanted to get home, but they were off by two degrees. And eventually the whole thing fell off course by the time we get to our passage today. So in verse 1, Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain fields. As they were going through the grain fields, Jesus' disciples become hungry. And so they plucked uh, some heads of grain. And Luke also adds this detail that the disciples were rubbing the grain with their hands. I just love that detail. Because who's the one 
taking a notice of what the disciples are doing on the Sabbath. I mean, first of all, these grains are here, right? I mean, just imagine these flowers over here. And I just, I just happen to be walking and I, and I just touch and I, and I take and I pluck some of the grain off the heads. And I just do this by myself and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I start to rub the heads of it so that I can eat the grain. That's just minding my own business. But who's taking a notice of this? The Pharisees. I mean, they're just minding their own business, but the Pharisees are so locked in on human behavior, but not the human heart. And so the, uh, the, the Pharisees, they're outraged. They go to Jesus and uh, the disciples, and what do they say? They say, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But remember, they're off by two degrees here. They're not simply talking about what? Just the law of God, but they're also talking about their traditions. And in the Mishnah, a couple of the things that they could not do was reaping, threshing, winnowing, and such as minutia details as tying a knot or sewing two stitches. They couldn't do this with the grain of, uh, the grains that they were so desperately wanting to eat. They couldn't rub the heads of the grain that was considered threshing and, and, and working on the Sabbath. And so uh, Jesus responds to them in a very interesting way to Pharisees who are very familiar, experts in the word of God. Have you not read, as he says in verse 3, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Jesus here is referring to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David was not yet a king. He was running away from King Saul. And he was trembling in fear, and as he enters into the house of God, he asked for bread. Is there any food here? And the priest says this, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. Holy bread. This is the bread that only the priests could eat. Nobody else. And what does the priest do? He gave him the holy bread. Why? For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. What do we learn here? Yes, the priest broke the law of God. The priest broke the letter of the law of God, but the spirit of the law of God the priest followed. And what Jesus is saying is here, they committed no sin. They committed no sin. And what do we learn? That human needs, human needs are not to be neglected by the ritual or ceremonial laws of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? It is not to be neglected. The needs of our people are not to be neglected by rituals or ceremonial laws. The heart of the laws of God is, yes, God's holy character, but also his perfect love for all of us. The point of 1 Samuel 21 is not that David is deliberately breaking God's law. 
We are not condoning. Oh, therefore, you know, as long as we take care of ourselves, we can break any and every law. Is that the spirit of 1 Samuel 21? No. David was running, scared, trembling. He was hungry with his men. He needed sustenance. Otherwise, he could have died. And so, because we know that David was not deliberately breaking the laws of God, that David was running away from a king who was chasing after his life for no good reason, Jesus teaches us the reason why I created these laws were for you, not against you. It is designed so that you are taken care of physically as well as spiritually. Many years ago, there was this movie uh, called I, Robot and starring the uh, actor Will Smith. Anybody know I, Robot? Probably just the leaders, perhaps, uh, maybe some of you. But the idea is, is that this is a world where robots and people live together. The main character, Will Smith, um, Will Smith's character, has great uh, anger and vehemently opposes uh, against the robots. And later on in the movie, they discover why. Why is it that Will Smith's character hates robots? Well, he had an incident where he was caught in an accident with another car, and they both go over the bridge and they go into the water. They're both dying. Now, a robot comes to save. Will Smith is telling the robot, don't save me, save the little girl, save the little girl. He's screaming at the robot. But the robot doesn't listen. The robot instead does his own calculations and realizes that Will Smith's main character, the main character Will Smith, that Will Smith plays, actually has a greater chance of survival. And so the robot, very coldly and in a calculating manner, just lets the girl die and saves Will Smith. For Will Smith, uh, his character realizes that robots are only able to calculate math, but not the value of a person. And likewise with the Pharisees, they were able to calculate the letter of the law, but they were not able to calculate the spirit of the law. God acts with both in his perfect calculations as well as his perfect love for all of his people. And here's the thing. It says in verse 5 that he is the Lord over the Sabbath. He is the Lord over the Sabbath. You know, ironically, the Pharisees find themselves to be utterly restless as they try to defend rest from Jesus who created it and offers it to us by his grace. They're restless. They're struggling within their own miscalculations that are off by two degrees. So how do they respond to all of this? They intensify in their anger towards Jesus Christ. Again, another incident occurs, uh, and it's on the day of rest, the Sabbath. And Jesus addresses a person with a crippled hand as well as a group of people with a crippled heart. As we see here, as you take a first glance look, starting at verses 6 all the way to 11, it feels like Luke is just focusing on what Jesus is going to do for the one with a crippled hand. But in reality, what Jesus wants us to see is that what Jesus is going to do for the people with a crippled heart Look at what it says in verse 8. But he knew their thoughts 
And he said to the man with the withered hand, come stand here. And he rose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? It's a very obvious question. Of course you are to do good on the Sabbath, not evil, not bad, or even the neglect of doing good. But after looking at all of them, he said to them, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. Now, in other uh, gospel accounts, of the same account from just different perspective, it also says that Jesus says to them, yeah, not only is it you know, good to do good on the Sabbath, but how many of you, if you had a lost sheep, a lost sheep, would you not go get it and rescue it from the pits? Of course you would. But you value a sheep over my people, over God's people. And another account, when he asked them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And seeing that nobody is responding, he was filled with grief. He wasn't filled with grief because people weren't following the letter of the law. He was filled with grief because people missed the point of the law the heart of God's people. And so he, you know, what does he do? He says, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and it was restored. And I'd like to say that, man, I wish everybody could respond by saying, yes, hallelujah, the man's hand was restored. Praise be to God. But instead, it says here in our passage that the Jews were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. And in the Greek, fury means this senseless kind of anger, senseless kind of rage. And I, I suppose that all sorts of rage is senseless, but this is the heart of God's people, heart of the Pharisees. You know, uh, Jesus does this on purpose, you know. He does all of this on purpose. I mean, what did the guy struggle with? He struggled with a withered hand. He could have saved or healed the next day. Having a withered hand is not terminal, right? But why does Jesus save or heal this man with a withered hand? It is to show us that Jesus' heart for you is far greater than those around you. Whether it might be your friends, even your parents, even your pastors. There is no one that loves you the way that Jesus loves you even on the Sabbath. We always underestimate that, don't we? We always underestimate how God loves us, cares for the littlest things. And God wants us to know how much Jesus cares for you so that no matter what state you're in, you can go to God as you are. And I invite you to do that now. Our passage continues. Because there is someone else that is crippled, and it's not their hands, it is their very heart. The man with a withered hand, or the Pharisees with a withered heart, I ask you, who is the greater cripple? It is the one with the withered heart, because a withered heart cannot see Jesus, who offers rest to us. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, he says. When does he say, when does Jesus say, come to me? Does he say, come to me on Sunday? Come to me on Monday? Come to me when you're at your best? Come to me when you're at your worst? No, he says, come to me. Every day, every moment of your life, and you find rest there. You don't go to your bed to find rest. How many of you have tried to sleep at night and you felt restless? Our ultimate rest doesn't come from a day or a bed or a person or a promise of this world. It comes from directly going to Jesus. And you can and must have a personal relationship with Jesus. To hear from him again and again, I love you. You'll never even know how much I love you. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I have come for you. Yes, I have these rules and regulations. They are good and holy. But they're also good because it's good for you. But I have something else. No longer is the Sabbath to be um, a day kind of event. It's a person kind of event. Because Jesus Christ comes to us. And he finds himself not to be crippled by his hands, but pierced in his wrists, pierced in his hands, and is hung upon the cross. And like the crippled man with the crippled hand or the crippled heart, where the crippling uh, is to showcase that there's nothing that you can do about it, Jesus himself willingly goes to the cross and takes the punishment that we were supposed to take so that you and I would not have death. But life, and life abundant. What are some of the beautiful truths that we can learn from this passage? Because there's quite a bit. I want to emphasize one thing. You and I are both. You and I are both the one with a crippled hand as well as a crippled heart. Because both of those crippling uh, events represent something. We don't know uh, the faith of the man with a crippled hand. We don't know what happened to him. He could have been born with a crippled hand. Either way, life is so hard that sometimes it can cripple you. It can cripple me. Words cannot describe how painful world, this world can be towards us. And it cripples us. And it turns us into this word, a victim to a fallen and broken world. But it doesn't just end there. It's not just about having a broken, uh, crippled hand, is it? It's not just about the world doing evil against us. There is evil within us, just like the Pharisees, where we have a crippled heart. And we do not respond to the pains and the sorrows of this life as Jesus would have responded to the pains and sorrows of this life. That makes us a perpetrator. We are both, you see, brothers and sisters, victim as well as perpetrator. 
victim and perpetrator. And here's the good news. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to both. He's talking to the one with the crippled hand. He's talking to the one with the crippled heart. He's talking to you today to say, find rest in me. Not in your academics, not in your dreams, not in your aspirations, not in your, the, the people that are around you, but find it in Jesus Christ who gives you that peace that surpasses all understanding. So what are we to do after hearing this message? And praise team, you can come up. Go find Jesus. He is right here. Be with Jesus. He is your rest, brothers and sisters. He's not far from you. He is quite near from you. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you are overfilled with burden by, Jesus says, give that to me and I will give you my rest. All the sins that you are wrestling with, all of the burdens that you are wrestling with, give it to Jesus, your crippled hand as well as your crippled heart. And what Jesus will do for you is not simply improve your life. Your life might actually get worse in some respects. But what he will give to you is rescue. A new heart a new purpose for your life. Because God is holy in all that he does, but God is also love in all that he does. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we need uh, desperately the rest that you give to us. Father, Lord, um, many of us are here and we are so exhausted and tired um, maybe because of school, maybe because of um, all sorts of different kinds of struggles that are placed upon us, and we just don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond to these things, and we might eventually, just like the Pharisees did, create our own rules and our own laws so that we know how to survive, we know what to do in tough situations that we have forgotten, Lord, to trust to believe, to obey you, to run after you with our whole hearts. Father, Lord, please forgive us of our sins. Restore unto us, Lord, the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto us the rest that we desperately need, for it is our, uh, our, our idolatry of work that ironically is killing us. So we thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.